Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome to class number 13 of the Jonathan Strange Mr. Norrell class, our third class on the miniseries adaptation. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I apologize, uh, I'm starting up a little bit late this evening. Sorry about that. I had some family things I had to take care of here this evening, which uh, took a little bit longer than expected, but we're all set now uh, and ready to jump straight in. I think I'm just going to jump straight in uh, because I, I don't want to keep you too late, and I, nor do I want to get too far behind as uh, I'm, I have been just, I continue to absolutely love this adaptation. I, I, episodes five and six, I've been even more impressed, especially now as the sort of more of the overall shape of the story, um, you know, of what they're doing in the adaptation is becoming clearer and clearer. Uh, as we get towards the end, I, I've been I just I, amazed, uh, absolutely amazed. Uh, just an inc just an incredibly brilliant adaptation. I just can't say enough uh, about this uh, about this film. But which means, of course, I have like a hundred clips that I want to talk about uh, from the film. But I I'm trying to restrain myself tonight. What I want to focus on is I want to go back uh, a little bit <clears throat> and look at the tension between Strange and Norrell. So we'll do some passages from last time and some passages from this time uh, as we sort of see the progress of that. And then I want to be looking, focusing a lot on, on Strange and sort of the development of his story from his arrival in the peninsula uh, through the end of episode six and his time in the Black Tower. Um, and really sort of looking at the story of Jonathan Strange and the way that the film is uh, sort of using Jonathan Strange as a way to illustrate and talk about uh, the sort of what's going on with English magic and particularly as sort of the Raven King uh, sort of looms closer and closer uh, through, um, through that whole segment. I, of course, also would love to talk about, uh, you know, the gentleman with the thistle-down hair and his abduction of Arabella uh, and uh, that stuff, but I'm uh, I'm not ambitious enough to think I'm actually going to get to that, so I think I'm going to, uh, we'll save that for next time, so that next time we'll talk about uh, the abduction and then sort of the end game with the gentleman with the thistle-down hair. Um, so we'll see if we can get through Jonathan Strange and English Magic uh, here tonight. That already seems to me a sufficiently lofty goal. Um, so let's let's jump straight in. This is to the debate. Um, the debate. So the timing of this. Um, this is. I can't even remember now which episode this is in. Whether it's in three or four. Um, four, I think. Um, but it's after uh, 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 Strange has caught Drawlight. Uh, committing his fraud, and so they've just been talking about uh, the Sanct Dragoons. Um, there's Sir, Sir Walter Pohl, who's just explained how the government is not going to set up a, a special court of mag magic uh, to uh, sort of enforce Mr. Norrell's opinions on everybody, and Strange has just sort of ex expressed his... Uh, surprise uh, and displeasure at the idea of having Drawlight hanged, um, and Norrell is uh, is about to respond to Strange there. So this is, of course, still while Strange remains Norrell's pupil uh, before their breach. It's not the first uh, scene of tension between them, but I thought it uh, a significant one. In any case, I scarcely think Drawlight is any more to blame than you. Why? What have I done? What possessed you to go out on the King's roads? People will think I approved of what you did that night. And why should you not? It is a momentous discovery, sir. The size of it, the 
It is a glorious sight. Staircases so high I could not see the top of them. And everywhere, in the halls, on the bridges, carved into the very stones, his likeness. Who's the man who built it all, sir? John Usglass, the Raven King. The man we have slandered in everything we have said and done. There is a great wealth of magic there, sir. We may go forth together, you and I, and discover it. What you did would do more to bring English magic into disrepute than anything Drawlight has done. It is no surprise that he turns out a villain, but you... You are the second magician in the land. Why did you come to London, sir? Why did you undertake the restoration of English magic, if not to do English magic? To make it respectable. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm going home. This is, of course, where he sees LaSalle's book for the first time. Um, I, I love the way the actor who plays Norrell uh, does uh, does that does that face where it looks like as he's like he's about to start crying, but he's trying not to start like he's so so upset and so angry uh, that he's uh, that that he's about to start crying. I just absolutely love uh, absolutely love that look. Um, now, what we can see throughout this scene is this really brings the breach between them, not the personal breach between them. I mean, of course, we can see the differences in their personality, um, but this is, this is, this is a, a moment of sharp divide, as we can see uh, from the transition at the end here, right? With his encountering of the book, um, you know, it is, it is Norrell's book, here, well, LaSalle's book, but it's LaSalle's book, which is sort of the, you know, the instrument of, 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 of Norrellite magic. And I love, by the way, how we get those two things, right? Instead of having it be, uh, you know, the the book by uh, uh, by Lord Portishead, uh, which he reviews in, uh, uh, in in the book, instead we get the two dichotomous books, right? LaSalle's book, which is Norrell's book, uh, you know. So we've got the Norrellite book, and then Strange's book, of course, which comes out later. So I love the I love the the, the sort of the parallel between the two. But here, of course, we have the setup for and the foreshadowing of uh, the the real serious breach, the actual rebellion. Um, but more importantly, you can see uh, the distinction. I love the look. So you you've got. Uh, Norrell's sounding sort of peevish, right, in saying that he's done worse than draw light. Um, and then Strange's attitude, like he thinks he's going to change his mind. It is a momentous discovery, sir. The size of it, the complexity. The smile. It is a momentous discovery, sir. Like, I've somehow failed to convey. Like, I, I, like he literally can't understand how uh, Norrell could not sort of embrace and be excited by this. You could see him trying to get Norrell excited um, about this. And, and yes, both Michael and Mark Ingram are pointing out how uh, how adorable Norrell looks in his little hat. I, I, I agree. This is... Uh, um, I'm hoping that we'll see Norrell in his own hair at least once. I mean, we saw it briefly when the gentleman lifted up his wig, right? So we've seen him... Uh, we've, we, we see him in his little cap... Here's a, is a little red cap, and we see him in his wig, uh, though sometimes uh, his wig in great disarray. Um, but uh, I, I hope we see a, a completely vulnerable and au naturel uh, Norrell at some point. I think it's actually fairly significant that we never do. Um, but um, 
But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, Niels, uh, Niels, uh, Neil Ottenstein says, strange thinks that Norrell doesn't know as much about the Raven King as he does. Um, yeah, Neil, it's, you get the impression that strange thinks it's only, like, he must not be getting it, right? There must be, you know, it, it, surely he can't understand and reject it, right? You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the sort of, almost naivete of strange here not almost it is naivete uh, of strange here um, that he uh, th- that he seems genuinely to be- to 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 assume to believe that Norrell will embrace this thing with as much excitement uh, as he himself is showing um, it is a glorious sight staircases so high I could not see the top of them and everywhere in the halls on the bridges carved into the very stones. And here's Strange digging himself deeper and deeper, and you can see Norrell so agitated about this that he, except Nancy the eye roll is awesome, isn't it? That, like, the way that he gets up and then move, just moves around behind his chair, like he's so agitated he can't even sit still in his chair anymore, right? Um, and then here Strange is going digging deeper and deeper, right? And the way he pronounces, you know, John Usglas. His likeness. His likeness. The reverential tone. The man who built it also. John Usglas, the Raven King. Doesn't that sound like a parliamentary speech? We've seen the parliamentary speeches, right? The the, the rhetorical period, that that the pregnant pause there, right? The likeness, his likeness, the man who built it all. John Usglas, the Raven King, right? I mean, you could see he, he the, the effect that he expects this to have. And it's not this one, presumably. And we have slandered in everything we have said and done. And again, even the smile with which he says that, the man we have slandered in everything that we have said and done, right? Like, okay, yeah, you recognize, right, that you're just calling into question. You've just said that everything that Noro has been saying in public is wrong, right? Strange himself seems to embrace that as a positive thing, right? That is to say, like, as if people are going to be happy, to hear this, like, oh yeah, well, let's clear that right up, right? You know, as if Norrell is gonna is gonna possibly respond to this by saying, oh yeah, you know, you're right. Your your view of the King's Roads definitely shows me that I was wrong. But again, it's not just that Strange is naive. It shows us how sort of the openness of Strange's mind, right? Um, that he, you know, genuinely, legitimately recognizes the greatness of John Osgoss, sees the greatness of John Osgoss. He, he, you know, it's like he himself can't understand both perceiving the greatness of John Osgoss and slandering him in the way that Norrell has, right? So clearly... The fact that Norrell has been downplaying and slandering John Usglas, the only logical explanation of that is that he, Norrell, surely can't um, can't actually understand. And so he, Strange, is going to try to show him, to try to make him understand. In everything we have said and done, there is a great wealth of magic. That- and then there's Lascelles' eye roll, right? so excited. We may go forth together. Now, note, that's a change, right? That's not in the book. 
he talks about being a discoverer, right? Being a magician as being like a discoverer, but in the book it's in his argument with Arabella about the King's Roads, right? And how being a magician is not a safe occupation. Um, here, notice how in the film it is emphasizing Strange's desire to work with Norrell, right? His assumption here, the, the sort of cheerful, innocent assumption that he seems to make that Norrell himself also feels the same way about magic, that he would want to go forth and discover it uh, with him. Right? Again, like, you know, having seen this vista, he can't imagine not going and seeing it uh, and exploring it, and he assumes Norrell is going to think the same way. Again, I find this scene so revealing about the real differences in the way that, you know, we talked about the differences in their relationship with magic, and we, we got some senses of that um, back in, when we talked about that back in the first uh, uh, episode, the first uh, uh, class session in which we talked about the film. Um, but uh, I think we can see it so much more clearly here. It would do more to bring English magic into disrepute than anything Draw Light has done. It is no surprise that he turns out a villain but you. And that as the disillusion that comes in, right? As he sees Norrell not only say, no, I don't want to do that, but actually to call it villainy, right? It's not only that he's saying you're as bad as Drawlight, right? But but that he would... It's clear that in, in Strange's mind, the idea of comparing these two things, right? You know, the the... the the wickedness of what Drawlight did, not only just in the, in the slandering of um, of Strange's name, not only in the bringing of English magic into disrepute by leading people to think that this is what magic is for to to you know pay somebody to bring home horrible curses upon your uh, the people who have done you wrong and all that kind of thing, um, but that that basically in Norrell's mind that those those actions by Drawlight are are the same, in the same category as Strange's desire to explore the King's Roads, right? Just completely, completely alien. And again, that look of, as he's beginning to realize, seriously, that's really how Nora looks at it? You are the second magician in the land. Why did you come to London, sir? Why did you undertake the restoration of English magic, if not English magic? If not to do English magic, right? Why did you undertake it? He's, 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 and again, I think this is genuine. <laughs> I've been catching Norrell in some awesome facial expressions, which, uh, uh, which I agree, Karita, are a major highlight of this scene. Um, why did you bring back, why did you restore English magic? Part of his frustration here, the frustration we are seeing on Norrell's face right here, seems to be remember, in the film version, he's less eager to restore English magic. Right, part of this is, I think, a recognition that Stranger's question is a perfectly just question. Why did you restore English magic if not to do English magic? Why are you trying to bring to raise the public profile of English magic only to reduce the possibility that anybody else will do it, or even to pursue it yourself? Right. Um. Remember, we had, you know, the, the film as the book starts off with that kind of caricature of commitment to magic and magical study that we get in the York Society, right? With, uh, uh, with the, the, the narrative voiceover given by Childemus in the film version about how the York magicians, uh, you know, never did any harm or never did the least bit of good um, and all that, right? You know, how, again, this is, 
their relationship with magic is kind of fraught in this way, right? They have the reputation of being the most magical gentlemen in Yorkshire, uh, even though they don't do magic at all, and we see them, of course, mocking Segundus for uh, ta- even talking about anybody doing spells, right? Um, and yet what we can see here is that Norrell is ultimately in the same position, right? In fact, if anything, Norrell's own position, as emphasized by Strange in this scene, is even more absurd, and Norrell seems to know it. But remember, in the film, he's been sort of pushed into this by Childemus, right? Um, he didn't really want to reveal himself. He didn't really want to come to London. Um, and again, I one of the one of the sort of subtitles that I would put on one of the captions I would put under this particular frame here would be, "I should have just stayed in Hurtview," right? Uh, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. Like leaving Hurtview, and you know, you're right, Strange. I shouldn't even have done it. Not that he's thinking you're right here, but you see what I mean. That there's this, there's this tension. I think um, even there. To make it respectable. And then this blank incomprehension. You did this in order to make it respectable. Because it's not just that, like, that's a petty goal, but it's almost a nonsensical goal. Like, he just asked, why did you bring, why did you restore English magic if not to do English magic? And he says, I, to make it respectable. So I restored English magic in order to make English magic respectable. But if you're not doing English magic, then why does it matter how respectable it is? Right? Um... Yeah, so I just the, the, this is the scene where we can really see the width of the gulf. We can see, I, I think, some real sort of problems within Norrell's own character really coming uh, to the surface. I think Strange comes across really well uh, in this scene, but this is seems to be clearly the moment when he's sort of you know now looking at you know a, a, you know I would my caption for this frame would be, "What are you? Who are you?" Um, and then, of course, we get the segue towards uh, towards the breach. Um, okay, let's look at uh, the. So there, there's uh, our our next scene and the escalating tension, and that's after he writes his review, and we get uh, uh, Lascelles hissy fit. The Edinburgh Review. He has murdered my book. Murdered the book. Of course, a very careful piece of phrasing there on the part of the adapters, right? The accusation to Strange of book murder, right? Now, of course, Lascelles doesn't know from book murder, right? That's not book murder. Um, but again, the fact that they use that phrase, love it, right? To Lascelles, it is, it is, it might as well be book murder, right? At the very least, he has stabbed the book in the back, right? Lascelles is really upset. All we have strived for. Yeah, but Norrell Esquire and Mr. Strange promises to set out the current wonder state of English magic in all its modern glory. I say that if this is what modern magic is to be, I do not wish to be modern. Give me the mysteries and dreams of the past, for they shine brighter than any of Norrell's restrictive rainy days. Notice the distinction that is arising here. And it's a distinction which is there in the book, but I think much more implicit, certainly a great deal less emphasized uh, in the book than in the film. And that is the distinction between modern and medieval 
magic, right? Um, Norrell is say, or Strange in his review is rejecting, in a sense, not just Norrell, but modernity, right? He's give me the past, give, give me the mysteries of the past. Um, yeah, yeah, and Nancy, you're right. It's, well, it is, imp- it, it is significant, I agree, that it's Lascelles and not Norrell who seems to take it personally. Um, of course, this was, you can see why Lascelles is so upset, right? This was his, this was the culmination of his plot, right? He has been working himself into Norrell's graces. He has been sort of riding on Norrell's coattails. The publication of this book, written by him, right, he, uh, it, it was set to be really sort of the crown upon the sort of no- monopoly of Mr. Norrell and the popularity of magic uh, that Lascelles had been planning, right? This is, the, this is the fruition of all of Lascelles' own personal schemes, and here is Strange now suddenly stabbing him in the back and undermining all of that. Um, and it is interesting, Nancy, I, I do agree, that Lascelles takes it more personally than Norrell, even though, of course, it's not Lascelles being attacked in the review. Um, yet, he's the one... To me, uh, Nancy, what that really seems to suggest is that, or even, I think, what I'd say, um, what it seems to betray is that Lascelles is really in it for himself, Right? Um, that's all he cares about. And so when he is thwarted, he feels personally attacked. Norrell, at times, sounds like he's just in it for himself. Even, you know, like, the, again, that speech with Sir Walter Pohl, which came right before that previous one, where, um, you know, Sir Walter Pohl is saying, essentially, like, get over yourself, right? We're not going to create a whole set of courts uh, in order to enforce people to agree with you. Right, so there are times in which it seems that Norrell is just completely wrapped up uh, and thinks the world uh, revolves around him. But I think his scenes like this betray the fact that he, that again, Lascelles thinks of himself. He's in it. It's all about him personally, and so he takes it personally. Norrell, it's not just about him. He really does care about magic. Um, he really does care about English magic, and it's not. It's this is this is much more. Than just uh, than just about him, and yes, Philip Strange is mystical where he ought to be intelligible. I love the way in which that uh, uh, that phrase, which remember did came in. Norrell said that back when he was commenting on the books that Honeyfoot and Segundus were looking at in the library, um, while also sort of implicitly, um, also implicitly trying not to show that, uh, or trying to prevent them from from reading the books, right? Um, but anyway, I love the way in which the film works in uh, quotations at times, sometimes just particular words, uh, like he murdered my book, right, which are significant in the book, even though they don't explain the full significance of it, uh, yet they work that vocabulary uh, into the film. So well done. Anyway, sorry, carrying on. It is no bulls, oh, of course. Hang on, I, I meant to uh, comment on the juxtaposition there, right? As Strange, as we're hearing the reading of of, uh, of the review and Strange saying that he prefers the mysteries of the, of the older magic, we see him coming and kissing Arabelli here. The connection between Jonathan Strange... The connection for Jonathan between his magic and his love for Arabella, of course, we get this visual reminder of here in this moment. 
Charles book reads like a letter from my great aunt. Succeeding admirably in representing all that is most absurd, constipated and dull about the blinkered Norolite position. Notice what Lascelles jumps to, Nancy? Right? He's like, wait, 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 wait. Let me get... To and he, he, point, he goes immediately to the passage, which he personally finds most offensive. Right? Because it's about the style of the book. And it's the most sort of personally insulting piece in there about Norrell, right? The one place where he's personally insulting Norrell's character and Lascelles' writing, right? That's what gets to Lascelles. That's what he cares about. But that's, that's not, that doesn't get to Norrell, right? He's less interested in that. Well, magic should be magical. Surely magic is to dream. Where is the wonder of England's past, of magic's golden age? There is no mention of the Raven King except to insult him and strike him low, to purge him from what we do. Norrell. That got to Norrell, you see? He had to get up and walk around again, right? The, the reference to the Raven King and the reverence that he's showing to the Raven King. Is this the magic of the modern age? I say it is commonplace, mundane. I say that there is much more to English magic than this. There is no mention of the discoveries I've made at my peril, no mention of the Raven King's roads or why they have been hidden behind the mirrors of England. Norrell is too afraid to question why the Raven King would do such a thing, too afraid to explore where those roads might lead. Okay, so you notice that gets to... Uh, that gets to, to Norrell again. Right, that Norrell is too afraid to do this, and again, you see, like, why does why does Norrell do this? Right, not just because he feels offended, not because he is affronted by this. That's a oh, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Right, he doesn't understand the reasons why he's doing it. Right, afraid it will take us to places we never intended to go. We must not let this stand. You must not. <laughs> Hold it together, Lascelles. Oh, boy. Lascelles is... Uh, when I first saw Lascelles, uh, you know, in the first uh, episode when he was first introduced, I wasn't in love with the casting, but it has totally grown on me. The guy who plays Lascelles is fantastic. Uh, I, I just... In episodes five and six in particular, I just think that Lascelles is... Uh, really, really wonderfully done. And again, so look, we, you have this no... Look at the contrast between Norrell's reactions to the open attack, the open public attack uh, by Strange, and his reaction to Strange's speech about the King's Roads in the previous scene, right? Um, we have no... no... Uh, um, no anger, Right? No offense, no, you know, none of that frustration that he was showing before, just sadness, chagrin. Yeah. Um, then, of course, we have the meeting between them. Do you really think the Raven King cares what happens to England? He does not. He abandoned us, abandoned his throne, rode out of England and took the best part of English magic with him. Surely that is enough to mark him out as our enemy. What an unexpected question, right? 
that Norrell opens with there, right? Do you really think that the Raven King cares about us? Not the Raven King is bad, the Raven King is a charlatan, you know, none of those other things that he's been saying. Again, here now we see him opening up, and, I, you know, I, I, you guys know how much I love this scene in the book when Norrell receives, uh, re- receives Strange and, you know, after the, the breach. And we see this, you know, this, this generosity of spirit in Norrell that we don't see anywhere else in the book, you know, what thing that I've, the moment that I've called the high point of Norrell's character. Love how they handle it in the film. I think they do a really great job. Not gone now. There it is, hidden behind our mirrors. It is coming back. That is the magic of madness. That is wild, cruel, medieval magic. Again, notice, he's not disagreeing with him. And this is the thing which is now again surprising strange, it seems. Right? Um, Yeah, it is. It may still be there, right behind the mirrors. Why do you think I told you not to go behind the mirrors? Why do you think I told you to stay away? You know, why do you think I was upset when you said you wanted to go on the king's roads? It is wild. It is the magic of madness. Right? He knows. Norrell knows. Right? He has rejected this stuff for a reason. We cannot have fairy princes ruling England alongside generals, dukes, and mill owners. Such magic belongs to an England that is dead. And it is out of our control. Then we must learn to control it. We cannot simply ignore it. And again, this is, you see, there's the Norrell more in sorrow than in anger, right? You know, the, the foolishness of Strange to say, we should learn to control it. Oh. face here. The period of our collaboration is over. Why is he upset? What is the, the caption under Norrell here? Oh, you fool. Right? Jonathan Strange saying what he's saying. His intentions to go off and do what he's going to do. It seems to me that we are too different. Well, in temperament perhaps, but we are both magicians. And that is all either of us cares about. If you leave this house today and you follow your own course, who are you going to talk to as we are talking now? There is no one. We will be quite alone. Possibly the most personal revelation Norrell has made at any point, right? That we, we will be quite alone. The first time he has recognized that he needs someone else, right? This is Mr. I wish I could just be alone in my library, right? The the guy who's been saying I wish I could, I had never come to London, right? Um, and, you know, like coming to London, you know, the restoration of modern magic isn't worth the loss of 40 books, remember? Um... But now he's recognizing this, you know, the, 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 the personal appeal here, not only saying you will be miserable if you go your own way, 
but I will be miserable if you go your own way, right? I need you to think of Norrell saying that, of him admitting that. I'm sorry, Mr. Norrell. But I have to be a jerk here. Ever since I came back from the peninsula, it has not felt right for me to call myself your pupil. But Now here's Strange sounding like a, what, snob? Right? Like a kind of an arrogant jerk. Right? And I guess several of you are reminding me of the prophecy. Of course, we can see the prophecies being fulfilled. Right? The name of the first shall be fearfulness. The name of the second, arrogance. Right? Yeah. He simply sounds arrogant here. Ever since I came back from the peninsula, where I established myself as really an awesome magician, in fact, really arguably better than you, I really can't imagine calling myself anybody's pupil anymore, right? I know that's not exactly all that Jonathan is saying, but as 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 well as he came off in that first clip, he's coming off badly in this clip. Um, you know that 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 spirit of I want to share this with you, and I want you to be as excited about this as I am, and I I, I assume that it will excite you as much as it excites me. Um, that's now he's pulled himself back from that completely. And even when Norrell is reaching out to him, he's just sort of sort of slapping Norrell away. Then we let it be a partnership of equals. The books that I should have lent to you and have kept from you, you shall have them. We we we, we should go to her view, you and I. You shall have the keys to the library. I shall not even challenge that review. Let it stand. Yeah, Nancy, I agree. The smile suggests how hard he's trying here. The 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 extent to which Norrell is reaching out here, again they I think they do such a good job of this. The 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 difficulty with which the difficulty that Norrell is overcoming in his own character. You know, which goodness knows is not the most admirable. But for him to overcome those things, you know, the contrast, think of the contrast between this and, and LaSalle's face and LaSalle's reaction, right? The, so just, just the personal affront and, and, and pride and peak of LaSalle's. Um, and instead, in, despite that, and, and in the face of that even, um, in open contradiction to that, we have Norrell making the most magnanimous, generous, selfless gesture he'll ever make. I'm honored, sir. Oh, and the smile fades. So sad. You are not usually a man for compromise, I know. But I think I must follow my own course from now on. Hear the bell? Uh, 
the significance of the bell tolling in the background. Oh, man, the details. The attention to detail in this adaptation is so good. Oh, boy, the way and the... The implications, you know, both, of course, the sort of the mundane sense of, you know, the the hour is striking, right, and the time is over, the time of Strange and Neural's collaboration is over. But, of course, with the overlay of, you know, the intrusion of fairy and, you know, the fact that the ringing of the bell forebodes, you know, the incursion of fairy <clears throat> upon the mortal world. Oh, man, so good. Um yeah, and as Nancy says, it's the face of the man who has lost his only friend. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Kate Neville says the bell uh, is sort of the sound of the gentleman with the thistle-down hair winning. Yeah, yeah. Kate, I think it's a great way to think about it. And I do think that that's one of the things that we see here. This is, this is strange, is making a big mistake here. And I, it, and I think, I love the way that they convey this. Again, you know, strange... I find Strange uh, in the series a very winsome character, right? The, in, in the film, uh, you know, Strange is very endearing, I think, most of the time. Um, but they've done a great job here of sort of showing how he is really legitimately at fault. Um, well, of course, after Arabella dies, we get the, the sort of horrible reversal, right? As he writes to Norrell. And so I beg of you, dear sir, for the sake of any friendship that once we enjoyed, you tell me what magic you employed to bring her ladyship back to the bloom of life. Tell me but this one thing, whatever magic it is, and I promise you I shall tell no one, and that furthermore I shall put aside magic entirely, cease to call myself magician, and trouble you no more, your affectionate friend, Jonathan Strange. Your affectionate friend, Jonathan Strange. Um... Notice, this letter contains what sounds to me like the, the, the strangeite equivalent of Norrell's offer to give him the keys to the library at Hurtview, right? Um, there was Norrell saying to Strange, I will give you not only the thing you want most, but the thing that you never thought I would ever offer of my own free will. Right? Strange is now doing exactly the same thing. I will give you the thing that you most want. That is, complete lack of competition from me. Right? I will... I will. He's, he basically is offering, essentially, to sign the same contract that the York magicians signed in front of the, in front of the, the cathedral. Um, and... So again, this is what Norrell wants, right? This is what he's extracted from every other magician except Strange, right? But of course, he never even tried. Not only because he found when he met Strange that he, that he didn't want to, but it surely would have been useless as well, right? Um, but now here is Strange offering that. And Philip, I agree, it is like a fairy bargain. Um, and... You know, Philip, I find that, especially with the emphasis, again, another thing which receives, and we've talked about this a little bit last time, um, how much the film version emphasizes the, um, uh, the, the, 
the making of bargains, like all of the thing. You know, the the gentleman doesn't just take Arabella, right? Um, he establishes a bargain. It's you know deceptively done, um, but it has to be a two way bargain. Jonathan Strange has to uh, has to to agree to it, right? Even if he doesn't understand what's happening and doesn't know what he's agreeing to at the time, um, there has to be a two way agreement made. Um, except sort of with the case of Stephen, right? Stephen Black seems to be in a strange kind of category there. But anyway, um, so Philip, yes. Um, notice how the bargains struck with the gentleman with the thistle down hair kind of retroactively color the bargain that, Child- you know, the contract that Childemus is, you know, handing out to the York magicians at the beginning. Um, yeah. Noral hates fairies, right? We don't do the fairy thing anymore. That's uh, that's medieval. That's uh, that's it's, you know that's part of an England that is dead, right? Except how different is he really? Um, so Philip, I think it's a great parallel. I think it's a really important parallel and a really interesting one. So, but certainly the pathos of this moment, right? And Noral seemed to be aware of it. I mean, thinking, looking back at Noral's expression as he's staring out the window, he looks troubled, right? We don't see his face isn't... Notice how closed his face is here. He's not even facing towards the camera. He's facing out the window. Right? We're only seeing him well, not quite fully in profile, but close to profile. And his, his affect is much more flat. Uh, we don't see the 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 anger, the frustration, the uh, the the the... the you know the the happiness, the sort of the forced sort of forced smile that we got, um, the horribly dejected like puppy dog look that we got at the end of the previous clip. Um, Mr. Norrell's face has been very open, right? Um, here we see it being very guarded, uh, which I think is interesting. And Neil, you know, yeah, concern. I would say he does look concerned. Put aside magic entirely. Cease to call myself magician and trouble you no more. Your affectionate friend, Jonathan Strange. What shall I do? Nothing, sir. What shall I do? He directs towards Childermas, right? There's no need. He was already talking Shropshire that he killed his wife by black magic, that he has another wife somewhere. If it were now known, he plans to raise the original from the dead as he did those Italians. His reputation will be ruined. No one would buy his book. I rather think Mr. Norrell was asking what he should do to help. Are you not? Can we talk without the servants present, sir? No, let's not talk without the servants present. Strange has made his promise. He's a man of his word. You and he can bring Mrs. Strange back between you, I'm sure. I presume you now understand what went amiss with Lady Pole. She need not come back, Mark. Could we talk without the servants present? Oh, man. Uh, The way that they do... Nancy, I agree. The interactions between Childermas and Lascelles are awesome. So well done. Notice... Notice what Lascelles has just done here, right? Can we talk without the servants present, sir? Notice the, 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 the emphasis on sir, right? The mere repetition of what he said, like, I'm not even going to acknowledge that Childermas spoke... Right, so I'm gonna be, I'm going to treat him like an invisible servant, which is itself a kind of rebuke to Norrell, right? And the little gap and the sir, 
right? Like, I am a gentleman speaking to another gentleman, Mr. Noel, uh, and, you know, of the three of us in this room, one of us is not like the other, right? Um, so the way in which he makes this kind of appeal to Noral, you are in my world, right? You speak my language and are going to... And, of course, Noral gives in, right? And dismisses, without a word, dismisses Childemus. Um I think it's really neat how we see the kind of the different poles, the way that Lascelles and Childemus become almost sort of personifications, almost, and this is, this is a really, really English teachery uh, way to say it, uh, and I apologize for that, um, because it's awkward too. But anyway, it's almost like Childemus and Lascelles are like personifications of the sort of the warring parts of, of Norrell's own mind, right? At the very least, we can see the two of them as sort of operating as different... On, from different operating on him from these two different directions, right? Lascelles is the soul of modern gentlemanly respectability, right? He represents London culture. Um, well, he and Drawlight represent it between the two of them. Uh, uh, the the. Uh, the London society into... I mean, they are his uh, sort of spokespersons to that society. They are uh, helping him sort of strategize. But we never even see that, right? Notice we never even see Noro interacting with society ever again. We don't see them advising him and leading others and talking to other people. All we ever see is them in the room with him. Again, they're like... They are London society in this film, right? Um... And London society is the modern world, that modern world that uh, into which Nora was arguing the Raven King's magic would not fit, right? Um, but of course it's also heartless. It's also extremely elitist, right? The, the, the friction between him and Childemus. Childemus, which was, has been that impulse to, to restore magic, right? And again, that it even um, again, I go back to that very first clip and the, the the pressure that is placed by the question that Strange asks, right? Why did you seek to restore English magic if not to do English magic? And it to me puts pressure on that word restore, right? Are you really restoring English magic? Childemus wants to restore English magic. He is connected back to the old magic, to the Raven King's magic. That is, if you're going to restore something, that's what you're restoring, right? Whereas, again, certainly Norrell's own relationship with it is, at the very least, more vexed than Childemus's. Lascelles is unvexed, right? He doesn't care about it at all. It's not part of his world, and he is going to dismiss Childemus and that whole impulse straight from the room here, right? So I love the way that the three of them Norrell and Lascelles and uh, Childemus become this kind of... Uh, it just sort of shows the division within sort of the Norrellite camp. Strange is kind of on his own. I mean, it's him and Arabella, and then it's just him. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm going to focus for most of the rest of, the, of our time on Strange and what how we see English magic sort of being restored and developing through Strange. Um, but I think it's really interesting to kind of look at this in this, uh, in the, uh, that is to see the, the Norrellite camp 
and how it's kind of divided in that way. Um, okay. All right. Um, where are we? Oh, yes, this is um, uh, when Childemus tells Strange that he's better watch out because Norrell's coming after his book. God damn it. Have I ever got to him, Childemus? What did I ever do apart from be frank and pleasant? This book will stand as tribute to my wife. Mr. Strange. God damn it! Bloody idiot. Mr. Norrell! Mr. Norrell! It is your former pupil and former friend! Mr. Norrell is not at home, sir. Oh! Mr. Norrell! What is this? You quarrel with my book? Your book cannot be published, sir. We will not allow it. Fine. What on earth does it matter? Leave me be. Do you not consider you have hurt me enough? Do you not consider you have hurt Mr. Norrell enough? What hurt? I wrote everything I could offer that he helped you for my wife what he did for Lady Polk. I pleaded, sir, on any condition that he helped me bring my wife back. He did not even reply. What was the magic? Why would you not tell me? I know why! Um, yeah, Nancy, he does seem a little bit unhinged, right? Why? Why did he fly into this rage, go through the mirror, and attack Norrell's house, right? Why did he do this? Because of his book, right? I mean, that was what set it off. You know, that uh, Childermas's warning that Norrell was going to attack his book was going to stop it? Why? Why does that bother Strange so much? Again, think about, you know, we talked about the reaction to that review, Strange's review, right? LaSalle's deep personal affront, right? He murdered my book. Um, but, um, and then we talked about Norrell's response, right? Where does this, where does this fit there? Um, yeah, James, I agree. It's about the connection between the book and Arabella. But on the one hand, it's what he's really upset about, which he makes clear uh, in the um, which he makes clear in the stairwell, right here. What really bothers him is that Norrell didn't even respond. Right? He wouldn't. He refused. Norrell could have helped him bring his wife back from the dead and he wouldn't help. He refused to help. Um, he refused even to acknowledge it. And his, you know, he had just been saying about how the, the book, you know, is going to be, is like, is dedicated to Arabella, right? His, the, the publication of the book is, uh, is, um, it's like for the memory of Arabella, 
Because remember how Arabella was tied up with it in the first place, right? He only became a magician in order to please Arabella, right? Because Arabella wanted him to have a profession, and he couldn't find a profession that he could do. So he became a magician in order to convince her to marry him in the first place, right? So that the whole profession of his magic has been tied up with Arabella from the beginning. And so Norrell killing the book which is dedicated to the memory of Arabella is like him refusing her all over again, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. So, Brian, I agree it does seem odd since he already expects that Norrell will want to at least spy on the book. Yeah, he he knows why Childermas has been sent, right? And he's happy to, he's, uh, you know, happy to show Childermas what he wants to see. Um, so, so, Brian, it does seem, it's the clear indication, right, that this is not just what it appears to be. That it's not merely he's upset about his book. Um, he's certainly not responding like Lascelles. Um yeah, yeah, good. Kate, you're absolutely right. Um that it's 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 even more complicated than right than that, right? Uh Kate Neville says, um of course it's Arabella and of course there's enormous frustration that his magic couldn't rescue her. Right? Yeah, and Kate, again, he's remember him like, uh since I returned from the peninsula, I could not really call myself anyone's pupil, and yet Norrell succeeded and he failed. Right? He's not the magician that Norrell is. He considered himself Norrell's equal, left Norrell behind, but has been shown, at least it's hard for him not to come to the conclusion that he was wrong, right? Because Norrell brought a woman back from the dead, and he, despite the fact that he was much more motivated than than Norrell was, he couldn't do it. Um, and yes, Kate adds, his uh, f- and fear that his review of Norrell's book was the reason Nora wouldn't help, and therefore lots of regret. Yeah, his his the 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 strain of self recrimination that goes through all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, Mark, I agree uh, that when Nora turns away, strange deduces that Nora used a family. He 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 knows why. He knows why. Remember, we also talked about how much more emphasis the film places on Norrell's cover-up, right? His desire to conceal the fact that he used fairy magic, which the reader is not exactly allowed to forget about exactly, but we do kind of lose sight of Norrell's... At least it's not heavily emphasized, Norrell's connection with the fairy. And, um, you know, there's, there's, we don't spend a lot of time in the book, focusing on that sense of like shame and cover up um, that uh, that that Norrell has to do, even to his um, his his going to the house again to meet with Lady Pole and warn her, right, and try to get rid of her. Um, it's um, I, yeah. So it's 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 uh, it's clear how much more emphasis is really placed on that. And we can see, so now here's Strange recognizing and understanding, or at least thinking that he understands. Um, but all right, let's let's uh, let's back up a little bit and let's look at Strange and English magic. I want to go back to the peninsula. And here again, as I said, what I want to do is I want to look at the development of Strange's 
career, right? The development of his, you know, we, we, we talked about the different relationship that he had with magic, how he didn't even really seem to understand how he was doing it. Um, remember the very first spell that he cast when he showed his enemy uh, in the mirror and he just kind of tossed the flowers here and there and drew a circle on it and it worked, right? Um, the sort of haphazard way in which he has stumbled into magic, sort of intuiting magic as he went along. Um, let's look at his development as a magician and see how this works and see what the larger picture that we are being shown is. Okay, so here's the Duke of Wellington. This is his first uh, feat of magic for the army. He's going to make the road. This road, sir, which you so good as to offer us. What sort of road would it be? Remember in the book, strangers don't have any trouble making the road, right? The drama in the book is merely whether or not he's going to be able to get the army, you know, and, and Wellington in particular, to see and appreciate the magic that he can do, right? It's different here. And we've got Jeremy with the books. Notice the sun low on the horizon, right? Uh, early morning, the sun is rising here behind them. Notice what he's not doing. He's holding a rock. He's holding a stone. But look where his eyes are. He's not looking at the stone. He's looking out where he wants the road to go, right? That is to say, he's not talking to the stone. That's clearly not the kind of magic he's doing. He's got his book, and he's got the stone. He's thinking about his road. Dramatic pose, just like in Portsmouth. Brian, I love the visual effect of, this, of the, the stones actually multiplying, too. But, uh, so he puts the stone, he, draw, he throws down the stone in frustration. <coughs> He's doing Norolite magic here, right? He's got all Norol's books. 
and and I love the visual image of Jeremy Johns carrying around the huge piles of books, right? Um, and he's acting confident. Yeah, Neil, he's got that, you know, I knew it all the time uh, sort of attitude, right? Though he seems to be genuinely surprised. Remember him talking about how he doesn't really know how the magic he does works, right? He just kind of sort of knows what the next note should be, right? He kind of makes it up as he goes along. Here he's doing Norolite magic, and it does, Donna, I agree, sort of succeed despite him, right? Um... And but Kate, I agree. It seems to me conspicuous. Um, Kate Neville says that the use of the earth is more like Raven King magic. Um, yes, yes, it is more like Raven King magic. Think of the significance of the stones. Uh, I love the fact that it's stones that they choose to make the road out of. You'll remember that's explicitly not the kind of road that they make in the book. He suggests a, a gravel road, um, a, a, and uh, Wellington doesn't want. A gravel road, right? Um, so I think it was a conspicuous choice in the film that he makes it out of. He takes us. He just picks up a stone from the earth and makes a road out of that. You know, forms the stones into the road. He it's like the raving, but but Brian exactly. He doesn't just ask the stone. He's not doing Raven King's magic. He's doing Noroite magic, and yet, what do we do? Except, you know, it is the Raven King's magic that we do, remember? That's, that's, that's the issue, right? Um, uh, so anyway, so we can see the connection there, but he's still doing Noralite magic, still doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's certainly not doing it in the Raven King way. He's, this is modern magic, and it works, um, though again, it still has those echoes and those connections with the older magic. Second time. He's got to move that forest. Ah, there you are. There, there's sort of gentlemen of the 7th Division. Over here, General Delon's French, with their backs to us. Now, if you'd be so kind as to move this forest, I think we might very well give them an unpleasant surprise. A forest, my lord? Oh. That is a different kind of magic to that which... It is not modern magic. So? It is not straightforward. I would think one would have to negotiate with the trees. You have moved churches, rivers, and so forth. I cannot think it'd be so difficult to move a forest. It's a very large. These are living things, my lord, that they will have humours of their own. They may not care for soldiers. Perhaps we have reached the limits of your abilities, Mr. Strange. Grant, daylight. Take a few men and escort Mr. Strange into the forest. Do your best to see he's not shot. Strange emphasizes this is a different kind. This is not modern magic. Right. This is not. Um, this is not the kind of magic that Norrell does. Why? What makes it different? Um, yes. And Brian, you're right. It is interesting to hear that Strange has already moved rivers and other things. Absolutely. Right. He's performed what seems certainly seems to Wellington like this magnitude of magic before. So why not? You've moved rivers. I shouldn't think a forest would be so so much more difficult. But Strange immediately understands that this is different, because unlike before, he wasn't looking at the rock, he wasn't talking to the rock. He was doing Norolite magic, he was reading it out of books, it was, it was about just sort of him standing there boldly and, and, and sort of declaring it, right? Um, but trees would have to be negotiated with, right? These are other living creatures, so here he knows he would have to communicate with the forest, and to speak to the forest... 
that is Raven King magic. That is not modern magic. So he's moved it. Well, Lord, we wait your convenience, sir. Which ones, sir? All of them. Bring all the bucks. Because I don't know if any of them are going to be of use, but he has no idea what will be of use, because modern... crackle like that, Mr. Strange. I have no wish to disturb the French. It is lunchtime. They will not be happy. Let's find the oldest tree. It's much of an age in me. Perhaps we should cut them all down and count the rings. Perhaps we should cut them all down, right? Let us suggest the practical, non-magical way of removing the forest. There's poor Jeremy Johns, with all of modern magic on his back. start talking. She? Talking to the trees? Notice. Lord, I've asked you to move these trees, not lead them in song. Do your work quietly, sir. I am trying. Winespill's question is a good one. You have drawn that notice. Quiet! Fence firing! Winespill says, is he talking to the trees? The answer is no. The trees were talking to him. Move this forest! Call down this. No! They are turning their cannon about. Follow your orders. Jeremy, find me Ormskirk. He had his book, right? He's standing there with his book in his hand. And he's trying to do modern magic, right? To move the forest. And the trees are talking. Everybody can hear the trees talking, right? But he's not talking to the trees. He's not listening to the trees. He's not, in fact, negotiating with the trees. He is trying to use modern magic to make the trees do what he wants them to do. And it isn't working. Jeremy John's finest moment. Oh, and English magic gets blown up. The death of modern magic. When I saw this for the first time, I was completely shocked when Norrell's books got blown up by a cannonball. And rather surprised that Jeremy Johns was killed, of course, but...
left. And as he dies, he hands over one last surviving book, The Child's History of the Raven King. And Brian, you're right. Oh, the French are guilty of book murder. It's book massacre. Yes, Kate, that one book that survived was the gift from Arabella. Yes. I just absolutely love the 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 visual image there, right? So notice, modern magic has failed him. Um, what he seemed so confident in, what seemed to be going very well, right? Not only did he make the road, he apparently has moved rivers and all of these other things. Grant snarkily says at dinner, "Have we come, you know, on the limitations of your abilities?" No, but we've come upon the limitations of modern magic, modern magic's abilities. Yes, right? They can't. It, the trees won't listen to modern magic. The trees aren't interested in books. Right? Um, he wasn't listening to the trees. He failed to talk to the trees. He failed to move the trees. And as a consequence, modern mag- magic got exploded. So, off we go into the brave new frontier. Child's history. Raven King. He has in his hands. Time to raise the Neapolitans. Magic I will do this night is not modern magic. In fact, it is very ancient. This is the moment when he has expo- he explicitly frames this by saying, I am here stepping away from modern magic. Remember in the book we had that whole discussion about black magic and white magic, right? And, and what, you know, in what sense does his raising of the Neapolitan soldiers count as black magic? And again, certainly made it look like black magic, and it certainly seems kind of sketchy. The film is much cleaner in that way. That is, it's very obvious why he doesn't want it in the uh, in the dispatches, right? Because it's not modern magic. Because he knows he is deviating, not just because of the sort of moral quality of it, but um, uh, but because of the nature of this magic. Because in doing this, he is deliberately reaching back into uh, uh, into uh, uh, Raven King territory. And I love the setting for this. I love the windmill. Such a brilliant thing. It is the magic of the Raven love King. Love the mill. I do not wish it to be mentioned in dispatches. You have my word, madam. That's enough. Like, only three of them instead of 17, Brian? Yeah, exactly. We, we don't need 17. Only three, please. It is for the smell. I thought I told you no one was to interfere with these corpses. The lads has touched him, Mr. Strange. You don't see they're so mutilated? Does it matter if they are? I suppose not. Only I have to look at them. Sharp knife, please, Ned.
that sound. Have you noticed how often that sound, that sound of the creaking of wo- creaking and groaning of wood, like the cr- the creaking and groaning of wood stirring, um, or shifting or moving in a in a wind, right? How often that accompanies the performance of magic, especially of Raven King style magic, and how at the moment when he performs this his first self-conscious deliberate performance of uh, of the raven king's kind of magic here in this moment the gears this the huge gears and wheels around them start to turn love that Notice, it's not windy. See the torches? Torches are almost straight up, right? And yet the windmill is starting to turn. And yeah, there is a a sort of a Don Quixote element to the windmills, Don. It's hard not to associate them with Don Quixote, I think. But but even more... And and you're right, Donna, there is the connection with Jonathan being the Knight of Wands. But, um, But even more... Why a mill? Why a mill? The idea that when he does this magic, something huge stirs around them is really cool, right? That sense of English magic, ancient English magic wakening up, right? Like the Raven King shifting and himself stirring as Jonathan does this magic. That is really cool all by itself. But it's a mill. It's not a forest, right? If this were like... They, he, they could he could have done this in a forest, right? He could have just had them out under the trees, and then and then he does, and then and then we hear the creaking of the trees as if the forest itself is stirring and responding to him. But that's not what we get. Instead, they're in a machine, and we see the huge cogs and wheels. In other words, it's a modern thing, right? It's huge and it's wooden, but it's it's a modern contraption, right? And yet, it the modern thing around them is moving and stirring in response to the magic of the uh, of the Raven King. Um, really, really cool, I think. Um, because it suggests, kind of implies, that even this modern magic, which is not Raven King magic, right, it itself is being manipulated and stirred by the Raven King himself. He is greater and ultimately in control of this modern contraption as well just so brilliant, the mill. The turning of the huge wheels above them. What they have set in motion. You can tell that the magic has taken effect by the fact that the wheels have stopped spinning, right? Ah, so good. So good! Then, of course, jumping ahead to the uh, Battle of Waterloo, of which we get so little comparatively, right? It's, you know, we spend very little time in the Battle of Waterloo. Um, but of course, this is an important moment, and of course, we should be remembering uh, the um, exchange between him and Wellington, right? Uh, could a magician kill someone with magic? You know, yes, a, a magician might, but a gentleman never could.
remember two things prior to this. First off, remember the two examples of magic we already see him doing, right? The building is on fire, and he calls up the water out of the well. Um, he's, he's making it rain because... Um, because of the, to try to put out the fire, right? He already said that at the beginning. He calls up the water and uses it to put out the, uh, the, the, the sort of encourages it to throw itself into the building and put out the fire. Um, and remember how the we get this like reverse water spout thing coming up out of the well. That seems an important visual image. Um, and then of course we have the vines, right, flinging the people off the wall. But notice his magic has been incapable. Of uh, it's true, Nancy. I, 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 yeah, Kate misses the moving of the town to America, and uh, Nancy misses the cupcakes. I do miss both of those two things as well. Um, but, uh, but, but anyway, notice the point here is futility, right? There are the soldiers, like saying, you know, trying to hold the French back who were forcing their way through the gate, and his magic was not able. He wasn't able to do anything, right? Stop playing around, right? Says uh, the officer who is just. Uh, And there's the French axeman, right? The guy who rep- seems to represent the uh, the charging force of the French, right? The man who who was at the forefront of the charge that just broke through the gates. This is the guy who seems to be like the living representative of the power of the French forcing their way into their enclosure. Yeah, Michael, he actually kills the guy, right? Huge departure there from the book. Um, What to do with this scene is really complicated, especially with the way that it's worked in, right? Um, the, um, The way in which the Battle of Waterloo is treated within the adaptation as almost the opposite of a climactic moment. I kind of expected Waterloo to be a climactic moment. But it's not a climactic moment. It's what's going on behind the opening credits, right? In episode five, it's... It's... Uh, um, it's... <clears throat> background. Um, but this... Anyway... Um, yeah, and then, and then Brian, yeah, and then all the French surrender. I, I, I'm missing here the glimpse of like everybody else just sort of sta- everybody, the English and the French standing next side by side around the courtyard, just looking at this huge fist that it, and 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 both of them just being like, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm done. Um, <clears throat> think about though the progression of Jonathan's relationship with English magic. Right, and especially here of of his relationship with the Raven King, if we want to say it in that way. Um, think about the contrast with his making the road. Right, him picking up this rock in his hand and holding the rock out dramatically, but looking out past into the distance. Right, and now the difference of how he himself is in contact with the earth. Right, calling forth the earth to come up and for you know, so his own hand grabs the mud, and the mud comes up. 
uh, you know, this, 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 the, the huge hand of, like the earth itself grabs and crushes his enemy. Um, and, uh, and there he is now lying on his back in the rain, which remember is always the first thing Vincuous ever refers to, right? The rain shall make a door and I shall come through it. Has the Raven King just come through a door? Right? Is that what Jonathan's magic has become? What exactly just happened there? Um, there's even this question. I mean, again, think back to the. This is not merely undermining that conversation he had with Wellington, right? But a gentleman never could, right? Oh, except like maybe in some circumstances, right? No, I don't think so at all. Um, this is it's one of the questions, though, right? A magician might, but a gentleman never could. Has Jonathan Strange ceased to be a gentleman? Because that's a modern thing, right? Raven King ain't no gentleman, right? That's a modern thing. Um, so, with this enormous, massive hand, which is on the scale of Jono's Gloss, right? Uh, remember the eye that we see in the book, but even just the this, you know, Jonathan's own sense of the scope of the king's roads and everything. We, we, we associate the Raven King with hugeness, right? So this enormous Raven King-sized hand which crushes the Frenchman, uh, and deliberately, right? This is not like, and the hand bursts out, and before he knows it, he's dead. He makes that choice. There's the pause. I am holding him. He could just toss him aside or something, but he he like, he he makes the choice to crush him, right? And does this mean he's a very bad person? Well, not necessarily, but it does suggest that he's not a gentleman again. He's not a modern magician anymore, not purely a modern magician anymore, and we get this very significant reminder of it in the Battle of Waterloo, which serves as a frame for all of Episode Five. You know, it's this is the this is the beginning of Episode Five. Um, yeah, exactly, Mark. He's not a gentleman magician. Right, yeah, thinking about that phrase and, and the significance of that phrase in the book. Absolutely. Yeah, Donna Smith says his magic becomes more primal, uh, intuitive, like when he first stumbled upon magic. Yes, Donna, and it's more like now... Uh, he didn't understand what was going on then, right? He didn't know how it worked. But again, here now, it's almost like he's talking to... you know, Remember that rain shall make a door, and the Raven King, he and I shall walk through it. His words, not mine, Vincuous always says, right? The Raven King will walk through the door of the rain. Jonathan Strange has summoned the rain, right? Which makes the mud, which enables him to do this. And he seems to be calling, it's like he's speaking to the ground and asking the ground to do this, and the ground is responding, right? This is Raven King magic. Um, and so we can see how far, how much Jonathan has changed, or rather how much his own recognition of things has changed, because Donna, as you are sort of recalling, his magic was always kind of like that, right? He didn't understand how it worked. He was never a modern magician before. When we first met him, he wasn't exactly a modern magician. He didn't have the tools to be a modern magician. He didn't have any books, except for the Raven King book, right? Which is clearly an exception. I don't mean, of course, obviously, Vinculus's book. I mean the child's history of the Raven King. Um... Notice how, as he goes along, by the end of 
episode 5. After Arabella's death, he begins to see, to understand something of the link between his own career and the progress of English magic. This is not just sort of a journey of discovery. What's happening here with Jonathan Strange's magic is not just about him. right? This is not just like, Jonathan learns how to use Raven King magic instead of modern magic. There's something that's changing in magic itself. This is, of course, part of his conversation with Childemus, which leads up to him jumping through the mirror and going and attacking Norrell in his own house. Um, but uh, this brief exchange, I thought, really interesting. Well, these landscapes always been there. I believe so. Why magicians not been able to go about to them? These roads were all closed, hidden behind mirrors. But now, something has occurred to open them up again. Now there is more magic in England than either you or I can understand. So that is true. Something has happened to open them up again, right? <clears throat> Strange's insight now. And looking a little crazy? <clears throat> I say yes. But um, something has happened to open those roads up again. His perception that English magic itself has changed. Right? He asked Norrell, um, before you know, we looked at the passage at the beginning of, of the class, why did you seek to restore English magic if not to do English magic? But English magic hadn't exactly been restored. Remember, part of Vinculus's prophecy, as it's declared in the film, is that both shall fail. It's said very near the beginning of the prophecy, both magicians shall fail. Norrell has failed to restore English magic. He hasn't restored English magic. Right? Um, but Strange is noticing that something is happening with English magic. Um, and he is a part of that. His own discovery. It's not just like, hey, there's a big frontier out there and we should discover it now. Right now he's beginning to see or to think, I am a part of something bigger that's happening, right? Um, we can see even more of this in his ravings when he's now in prison. It will not have you slandered, so... But then again, madness is not such a very clear notion. Think of the magicians of the Golden Age. They were the fairies near neighbors in wildness, insanity. Perhaps I am too tame. Mr. Strange, listen. But how does one work up a little madness in oneself? Perhaps I should go wandering, perhaps... The wilderness will make me mad. I think you hit upon something, Grant. My book is finished. London is set against me. It is time for me to become the magician destined to be. Murph! You cannot propose that you purposely become a, a lunatic. You will only help your enemies. You will only help your enemies. Yeah, it's almost like you're going to, you know, assist in your own destruction or something. Um, yeah, yeah. He's going to become the magician that he was destined to be, he says. Right? Um, notice the implication of that? This is one of the things I got really excited about when I was watching these episodes again. Um, 
episode 5 has been about Strange. It's been about the progress of Strange, but of course it's been about the kidnapping of Arabella. Right? Arabella's abduction, the continued struggle of Lady Pole against it, um, and, oh, you know, so much we could talk about. Compare and contrast Stephen Black, Lady Pole, and Arabella Strange's reactions to their enchantment, right? So interesting there. But anyway, um, Strange here implies that he has a destiny which he should fulfill. In other words, almost a kind of recognition that he's a kind of pawn here. He's has a role that he was meant to play. That he is being manipulated. Just as Arabella has been manipulated. He doesn't know that yet. He doesn't see that yet, but we can see it. We can see the way that the gentleman is controlling and manipulating and claiming Arabella. We can see Jonathan Strange being made the instrument, being manipulated into being the instrument of English magic, the instrument of the Raven King. Both of them are pawns. Both of them are constrained, in a sense. Jonathan less so. Arabella is more genuinely entrapped, right? Um, she doesn't exactly go of her own free will. We'll look at that next time. But um, but again, his sense here that this the magic is waking up, right? This there is a there is a the wheels are turning, right? And he plays a part in that. But this isn't a script that he himself has written. Um, I jump forward into episode six. I see a few things. First, I wanted to look at his transition into madness. Remember, we made a lot of this when we were talking about the book, thinking about those boundaries and the crossing of boundaries. We saw so much of that uh, in the book. Look at how the boundary between sanity and madness is treated uh, visually here in the film. This is, of course, he's about to put the mouse in his mouth. He has just turned the cat lady into a cat, right, Miss uh, Delgado? And uh, he is, he's, so he's just said that, uh, you know, I hope that you are satisfied uh, with her end of the, tr- of, the, of the bargain. And I hope I will be too. that worked. What do you make of that? What do you make of this scene? What do you make of the visuals that they have done in this scene? You know, all this business with his face. 
What do we see? What are we being shown? Brian Yoder says it's admittedly very difficult to try to, betray, to try to portray what he would see. It's true. But notice, Brian, it doesn't make any attempt to portray what he sees. Right? That's one huge difference that we get here. We don't get any depiction of his own experience exactly, at least not of his own perceptions. We see him. I miss the pineapples too, Mark. Um, but... Um, but again, the, but that's, this is not the emphasis, right? We don't get the pineapples, we don't get the candles. Um, and so we do lose, especially with the candles. Remember, the jury was still a little bit out on the pineapples, though, you know, going to give them the benefit of the doubt, probably. But anyway, um, you know, one of the things that we lose there is this, this sort of the continual mounting of evidence that madness actually is a kind of insight uh, uh, that those who are mad genuinely perceive reality in a way that is uh, that is that is that is unique and indeed superior to sane people um, but um, what we see is him right we're looking at him from the outside um, and we see his self being distorted right his face being so we see him uh, being Donna, I agree. I absolutely agree. He looks like he's in terrible pain, right? Like he's undergoing agony. Um, Kimber Nelson says it looks like he's losing his identity, um, and that looks painful, right? But again, the uh, distortions. Kate Neville um, thinks it looks like the warping in a mirror, right? It does look, you know, some of these images like this look like your reflection as it might appear in a mirror that's been warped or dented. I say dented because, of course, many mirrors um, in this time, you know, that not all mirrors were made out of glass. Um, they were often just sort of polished metal surfaces. Uh, so uh, some of them would get warped or dented and give you a strange reflection like this. <laughs> strange reflection. See what I did there. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, Kate, I think that that's really interesting. Um, and, of course, Kate is also pointing out how, you know, notice how many of the mirrors that we see in the film are not clear, right? They're all, you know, they um, um, look all cloudy or, uh, or, or uh, uh, you know, sort of corroded, right? Which was quite common um, for mirrors in, in, in that time. Um, but I guess so that, that, that idea of his face in a mirror, his face in a distorted mirror, him passing through that mirror into this world, you know, of course the mirror, one of those, uh, one of those boundary points, of course, heavily, as heavily emphasized, uh, in the film version as well. Um, so, so, okay, so his transition into madness, we see it changing him, warping him, um, we see the, the agony of it, but then again, that casual acceptance. Well, that worked, he says, in the, sort of that very prosaic um, uh, comment there at the end, right? Um, and after he succeeds in talking to the fairy, we get this is the conversation, conversation with Flora in the market the next day. And I think you know, this is one of the last times we will hear him sitting around casually talking about English magic uh, in this way, not sounding like a lunatic. You were so bright this morning, Mr. Strange. 
I cannot but think that you have succeeded. Yes. You've summoned a fairy? I have. What was the creature like? A very odd fellow, with silvery hair. Much like ourselves, but yes, a very odd fellow indeed. <laughs> Imagine what can be done. You will transform England. Well, I suppose so. I not thought much beyond. I have not yet made the bargain. You will transform England, she says. And he says, perhaps I've not thought much beyond, of course, he's not thought much beyond raising Arabella from the dead, is, of course, the only thing he's really thinking of. He's he's now, you know, he's, he's not thinking about English magic at all. He's not even thinking about his own magic and certainly not about his own profession. He's just thinking about Arabella and trying to get Arabella back. But Flora immediately sees, you notice, she doesn't say, you will, you will transcend Norrell's accomplishments, right? You will make a name for yourself as the first of all English magicians. No, she says immediately, you will transform England, right? Um, yeah, and Brian, you're, you're right, it is a delightful... Uh, you know the, the the fact you know Brian wants to mention that he's brought her along to size clothing that he's not buying for her though others might assume this right yeah, Brian I love even the ambiguity of his statement you are the right uh, can I borrow your daughter she is the right size and shape right that's <laughs> like not that I'm objectifying your daughter or anything <laughs> right um, yeah 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 um, anyway sorry ah that's what I will give England back its heritage, he says. Right? She said you're gonna trans you're gonna transform England, right? And he is now agreeing, right? I'm gonna give England back its heritage. Um uh, so again he sees himself very much here as the vehicle for the real restoration of English magic. The key to the to, to unlocking the doors to English magic, which has been lurking behind the mirrors, right? It was like the King's Roads were locked behind the mirrors, but now the door has opened. He is the key to open the door uh, to, uh, uh, to, to English magic. Um, yes, Mick, the restoration of the Golden Age. And then she says the really creepy thing. I shall be quite in the mood to do it. Will you put the Raven King back on his throne? There are some who say that the Raven King is not a man, but an idea. That he is not one magician, but several. Not one magician, but several? I don't even know what Jonathan Strange means by that, exactly. Will you put the Raven King back on his throne, she says. Notice, again, her idea of the restoration of England, of English heritage, you know, of Eng- restoring uh, England its heritage, or of transforming England. She connects with the Raven King, right? You must take me dancing. Oh, and there's the really creepy moment. You must take me dancing. Remember what he said about the fairy servant at the beginning? How did he describe the fairy servant that he met? Remember? You were so bright this morning, Mr. Strange. I cannot but think that you have succeeded. Yes. You summoned a fairy? I have. What was the creature like? Very odd fellow, with silvery hair. Much like ourselves, but... 
very odd fellow with silvery hair, much like ourselves, right? Yeah, that fairy I met, that fairy I summoned, is a lot like us, right? And then, you know, at the end we have uh, her... You must hate me dancing. Okay, maybe too much like us, right? Um, Now, neither one of them understand the significance of either one of these two things that they've just said, right? But we should find it creepy. Um, She even looks kind of like uh, 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 Lady Paul looked when she got out of bed, right, after being resurrected, right, and immediately wanted to dance, which seemed to Sir Walter like a good thing at the time. Right, and think about uh, you know Drawlight's declarations there, which are rolling you know as the as the credits are coming at the end of episode one. Right, um, he has restored the lady right to life and to dance. Right, as if that's just you know the the ultimate expression of the life that he's restored her to. But of course, the dancing, dancing is associated with slavery in this film. Right, in this story, and. So again, the combination of him leading this conversation, saying that the fairy that he met, the gentleman, was was much like the, much like them, and then her saying, "You know, you'll have to dance with me," is, um, as I say, creepy. Definitely, definitely creepy. Um, and how? What is the effect? What is this so, like, you know, we pause here and do what I always tell my students to do. That is, ask, so what? Okay, so we see this connection. What's the significance of it? What does it suggest? Well, remember, why is he summoning the magician? Right, or the, the magician. Why is he summoning the gentleman? Because he wants to make use of him, right? He wants to use the gentleman as a tool to further his own purposes, in other words, that concept of conjure a fairy and make that fairy your servant, right? Strike a bargain with the fairy in order to have him serve your purposes. That's thinking like a fairy, right? That is, in fact, we you know, that whole concept of summon a fa- of you know a magician having a fairy servant. That's a totally sort of normal mainstream magician thing, right? And yet. It's um uh, we know from the gentleman's side, we know why he wants to interact with humans. We see how he treats people. Um, we know that he is only manipulating people, and we can, you know so I love the way in which, and the film does a great job of this of sort of showing the gentleman kind of behind the scenes. Right, we see his interactions with. I particularly love how we hear him raging to uh, uh, when 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 Jonathan sees him for the first time, succeeds in in seeing and speaking with him, and the gentleman is quite taken aback because it's a sign of weakness. Right, he was all um, pleased with his his superiority over Jonathan um, in the fact that Jonathan could summon him and yet not speak to him. Um, and then he, how he was planning to manipulate Jonathan by granting him what he asked, um, and uh, so you know, so I love the you know when Jonathan summons him the second time, he's there like instantly, right? Um, 
it just and 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 immediately start speaking right from like three inches right behind Jonathan right. We know why he's doing this right. We know that he's not just seeking to become Jonathan's servant because that's what fairies do, serve their mortal masters, right? Um, He has his own purposes. But in trying to take a fairy servant and trying to use him as an instrument to to, uh, achieve his own ends, in this case, of course, the resurrection of his wife, it's not a terrible end, Um, you know, it's not a, he's not seeking world dominion or riches or anything like that, uh, it turns out. But yet he is still acting like the fairy. He is seeking to establish a bargain to use others to profit himself, right? Um, and no, he's not going to make the nice English lady dance, right, and enslave her, um, as Byron almost enslaved her. Well, that's a rumor that comes from draw light, so I don't believe a word of it. Uh, but anyway, um, we get that. You know, there's this implication. Certainly, her father is very sensitive to the implication that she, Flora, could become enslaved to Jonathan's will, right, and manipulated and exploited by him, right. Uh, that's what her father is understandably afraid of, right. Um, so yes, the, the 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 parallel that's established here is, I think, a really a really striking and a really telling one. This, of course, is Jonathan and Flora within the Tower of Darkness, the Black Tower, as it's called, in the film. When the time is right, you will know. Now you must leave. Be safe. Mister Strange, this is killing you. Get out of here. Go. Go. Stand back, sir. We are leaving. I must save my wife. Why was I made a magician if not for this? Think about that sentence. Think about the implication. Think about the way it's connected. What it suggests about the overall arc of Jonathan's character and of his career as a magician. Why is he a magician? Originally, in order to win Arabella, right? In order to have a profession so that she would respect him and ultimately agree to marry him, right? Um, now, how is it turned? I must save my wife. Why was I made a magician if not for this? I must save my wife. Why was I made a magician if not for this? Right? It's not just to please Arabella. It's still for Arabella's sake. But now that has so much more weight. It has so much more significance, right? Um, And Kate, you're right. Kate Neville is really uh, emphasizing the irony and the really painful irony for Jonathan. Of course, he wouldn't have to save her if he hadn't become a magician in the first place. You're certainly right about that, Kate. But yet, also... But again, notice notice the other thing about this... um, this saying of his that really jumps out at me? Why was I made a magician if not for this? Notice what's changed. Got it, Kimber. Exactly. Made. Why was I made a magician if not for this? He sees himself as a pawn. Right? He is the tool of someone else. He was made 
a magician. Yeah. How was he made a magician? When he met Vinculus. Right? I mean, he tosses it off as a joke when it happens, both in the book and in the film. Right? Why did you decide to take up magic? Says Arabella. And he's like, well, because I met a, I met a guy under a hedge who said I was a magician. So I am. Right? The Raven King and the Raven King's prophecies made him a magician from the beginning, and he sees that more now. Why was I made a magician, if not to save my wife? Right? Um, if not for this, yes, this. And Kate, because uh, Kate says the, the this seems to be more than simply saving Arabella, as saving her will involve besting the fairy. Um, yes, yes, I agree, Kate. There seems to be a bit of a, a bit of an ends and means question here, right? Arabella is his goal, right? Saving Arabella is his end. Um, but along the way towards that end, he will the, the end of the Raven King would appear to be only a means towards Strange's end, right? He and the Raven King aren't in this for the same reason now. He's not about exploring anymore. He's not a discoverer. He's not even a restorer of English magic. He is an instrument of English magic restored, because only English magic restored can get him where he wants to go. Um, but again, what for what else was I made a magician, if not for this? And, uh... Oh, wait, sorry. I didn't finish that one. there's more. Here's draw light. Sir, miss, what have you learned? Is it true that he has turned people into glass and thrown stones at them? The young lady, you are his special friend. What is he about in there? Do you wish to be shot? Then behave differently. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> then behave differently. Okay, <laughs> do you wish to be shot? A portentous question to ask Drawlight, right? So, of course, needless to say, we get a piece of foreshadowing there. But notice, of course, the ravens, right? The ravens come in from outside and enter the Dark Tower. This is different than we got in the book, right? Um, the ravens are coming to him here. He's not summoning forth the ravens. Um, he's uh, the ravens are entering the black tower to come to him so what does this suggest about the raven king's relationship with the fairy with the spell on uh, on Jonathan Strange well Jumping backwards a little bit, we get some of this with Norrell and Childermas. To call Mr. Norrell, when you first came to London, the street magician accosted you. Yes, with tales of a book belonging to the Raven King. And do you remember what he said? It was nonsense. Some irrelevances about rain making a door 
and the nameless slave shall be king and others as raven king gibberish. When you sent me to get rid of him, sir, I saw the raven's mark on my cards. They were full of them. I do wish you'd throw away those cards. They're full of ravens again. The Black Tower. The Black Tower. His cards are full of ravens again, like they were before. Now, what do we see here in this card? First of all, th this has no parallel in the book, right? Childermas's cards were not taken over by the Raven's Mark a second time, right? The first time with Vinculus was a message explicitly. Vinculus is explaining that it's a message, right? Norrell's past, present, and future. Um, tell him. You tell him. The, the, the king is coming, right? The raven is coming. Um, this, therefore, would seem to be another message, another direct message to Childemus from the raven king, right? Through the vehicle of his own cards. But notice, we have, first of all, the card itself. Now, the tower seems to be a, one of the cards, right? That is, that's an illustration that Gildemus made. It's the raven, of course, which is the intrusion upon this card. But notice, remember how significant the pictures were. Um, how literally significant, not even symbolically, but literally significant. And what do we see? What do we see in the tower? Tell me what you notice here about the card. The head of the tower has opened, sort of broken off, and this something is coming out of it. Yeah, Nancy, the top does look rather like a crown, especially tilted off like that, right? I mean, if it, if it were just on top, it would look like a tower, right? Like crenellations on top of a tower. But separated off like that, the top of it looks very much like a crown. Kathy, yeah, it looks like it's on fire, right? Like flames are coming up, like the tower itself is is burning, is being destroyed. What else do we get? Yeah, Kate, it does. It, it recalls the funnel, the smoke here, the wisps of smoke recall the funnel that we see later in the Dark Tower. So it seems this looks like a depiction of it. And then we have two figures. What are those two figures? What do you make of those two figures? Good. Mark says the flames are reminiscent of the burning of the windmill. I love that. I like that. Yes. Kathy, good. Yeah, we, we have a man here, and this other figure which looks like a demon. Yeah, James, it could be a badly burned person, but it also kind of looks... I think it's got horns. I think those are horns there. And the mouth doesn't look human, and the hands don't look human. I think this is a demonic figure here. 
Something non-human, anyway. The black figure, the demonic figure, is on fire. The human figure is not, though he is falling headlong. Doesn't look like he's in a happy place, the guy. But he's not on fire, right? But the fire which seems to be burning the tower is burning the black figure himself, right? And the man is falling. And then the raven. The raven is coming in. Like the ravens come into the black tower later on. Um, Yeah, Kate, I do take the... um, I do take the demon figure here to be a figure for the gentleman. And that's my own interpretation of this card. Um, This, I would say, is Jonathan, and this is the gentleman, right? The gentleman is certainly the demonic figure of the two. Um, But that's what makes this so interesting. If that's true, um, then if this is a sign of the Black Tower, right? Of Strange's Black Tower, that was inflicted on him by the gentleman, right? That's the gentleman's triumph. And yet we see this figure, which would seem to represent him being himself destroyed by this. Kate Neville, awesome! Yeah, it's, just, it's like a reversal of Stephen and the gentleman, right? Um, yes. Uh, Stephen Black, right? With the, 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 black, the black skin of the devil. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kurita thinks uh, the guy's going to be fine because he's only falling from a short distance. Yeah, but, he, but he's presumably ha- in mid-fall here, Kurita. Right? I'm, I'm guessing he fell at least from this window, right? But it kind of looks like he might have thrown himself out the window. Kind of like Jonathan, right? And be in free fall, head first towards the ground after throwing your own self out the window, right? At least that's that guy, That's how I would take that. Uh, and notice, notice that one thing that we get about the guy is his, he, he's got the, one of his few features, he's got this long wild hair going on here. Looks kind of Jonathan Strangers to me. Um, but, uh, um, <clears throat> but now, but again, back to the raven. It's like the raven's coming in, but this is not just a raven coming in. The proportion shows that. We, we'd have gotten a whole flock of ravens heading into the fire and the smoke if that had just been a mere representation of the ravens coming into the dark tower uh, that we actually saw in, in, the, in that last scene in the film. There's more to it than this. It does look like who was... Uh, uh, who was... Yeah, Kathy Yoder was saying it looks like the raven is knocked... the one that's knocked the tower open. Yeah, it looks like the raven is striking at the tower. It's in the superior position. It's outside the frame, right? It is the intrusion upon this. It looks like, by its position, it is the source of this catastrophe. Um, It's in the foreground, Kate, and as Carita says, it's it's a big honking raven, right? It's out of proportion to the tower. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, um, who was talking about the tower 
Yes, Mick was talking about uh, traditionally the tower in tarot. Uh, there is a tower card uh, in in most in tarot in the the traditional tarot deck, um, and it's being struck by lightning. Right, it's being being struck by God's lightning, and um, so yes, yes. So Mick, the the raven seems to be in that position, right? Um, it's the lightning struck tower, but it's not lightning struck. It's, this is a raven struck tower. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Um, that seems to be the message, right? This is uh, Kimber. That's a great way of saying it. Um, this is a sign from the Raven King to Norrell about the next play in the grand, grand scheme. It does seem to be that, or a warning to Childemus, perhaps. Is this message even intended for Norrell? The last one was. Is this one intended for Norrell? I don't know. Um, but the the role of the raven in its relationship to this, uh, the presence of the black figure on fire um, uh, in the tower suggests that all is not necessarily as it appears. Um, this is, you know, what we see at the end of episode six is not just Jonathan being victimized by the superior power of the gentleman with the thistle down hair. Um, let's, uh, Go on, this is the last scene we'll get to tonight. The uh, discussion. This is uh, Jonathan's three messages to draw light. Lady Poe is not mad. She appears mad, but that is Norrell's fault. He summoned a fairy spirit to raise her from the dead, and in exchange he gave it all sorts of rights over her. This same creature has threatened the liberty of the King of England and has enchanted at least two more of his majesty's subjects. Again, notice what how crazy he sounds. Your first job is to tell John Childermas what I've just told you to give him this. It contains a gift for Lady Pole and my instructions. It must not give it to her before I send the word, not before then, you understand? Perfectly. I'm opening the doors. I'm returning magic to England. Um, I, do you understand? Perfectly. Right, he doesn't understand at all. Right, we understand the significance of everything that Jonathan Strange has just said, but it sounds completely unhinged. Right, it sounds completely crazy. This is a gift to Lady Paul. Um, the second task is to get this letter directly to Lady Paul. Of course, he says with that smile. Yeah, okay, sure. Say you are returning a magic. Notice how Jonathan understands better. He's returning magic to England, right? Uh, it's not, this is not the development of modern magic. It's not even the restoring of magic. It's the returning of magic. Magic is just coming back. The Raven King's magic is not dead. It's never totally gone. And he, his job is to return it, right? This is seems to be Jonathan recognizing and embracing his role, it's almost like he's made a bargain with the Raven King. Now, remember what he said to Flora just a couple minutes before, right? For what else was I made a magician if not for this, right? He tried to make a bargain with the gentleman, with horrible irony, um, to get him to restore Arabella to life. Um, that didn't work out. Now it sounds like he's made a bargain or feels himself to be making a bargain with the Raven King 
right? He is the pawn. He is the instrument that the Raven King is going to use to bring, mag- to return magic to England, right? And he will do that in exchange for his wife, right? Uh, what else? For what else was he made a magician, if not for this? And he's the Raven King's old alliances are still, still. Enforce. Remember back to trying to move the forest and not listening to the trees before, right? Now he gets it. Now he understands it in ways that he didn't get it at all before. These birds are my messengers. Sent to remind the stones and the sky and the rain of their ancient promises. I am flinging open the doors and allowing magic back in. The world will be changed, Mr. Dwarlight. If you do not do as I say, Kate, notice this? Right, remember the other scene we were looking at with his face distorted? Right, here's his face in the mirror. You can't see his face. What can you see? What does he see when he looks in the mirror? Hair. Yeah, yeah. White hair, Nancy, doesn't it? Remember that that link between the parallel between himself and the gentleman? Looks kind of like the guy could be the gentleman, right? Can't tell. His own face is obscured in the mirror as he's looking in the mirror, which is the portal that he's you know the, the 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 avenue that he's going to use, the door that he's going to open. Right, it's behind the mirrors that the king's roads have been shut. English magic has been shut up behind the mirrors. Right, that's where it's been hiding. That's where John Osquas put it. But that door is being opened, and it's his job to open that door, and he's about to do it. Right, the the birds are to be his messengers. The ravens have been sent to be his messengers, his messengers to the stones and the trees. Um, I like how in the film, uh, he Jonathan does not entrust the message to the to England. Right about magic being restored to draw light. Right, he sends it uh, through the birds here. Um, will be changed, Mr. Dwarlight. If you do not do as I say, all the magicians in England will rise up and destroy you, you understand me? I thought there was only one. Now that you are here, I, I thought there was only one magician in England. Perhaps I, I, I was mistaken. All the men and women who ever wanted to be Norrell's pupils are magicians. John Childermass is another. Segundus another. Honeyfoot, the members of the old society. England is full of magicians. Norrell silenced them, but they are magicians nonetheless. <coughs> Deliver these three messages and I shall take the revenge upon you. I shall not harm you. the image of the ravens all soaring into 
the mirrors and the shattering of the mirrors to show the opening of the doors, the permanent opening of the doors. Um, and the look on his face when he says he is coming, right? How sharp his... He looks almost fanged. looks almost vampiric uh, in this image. Uh... Think about the think about the scene that we started with. You think about that almost that that smile of almost boyish excitement on Jonathan's face uh, in that first scene when he talked about discovering the king's roads and exploring, right? And you think about this smile here, this mad, twisted smile as he is threatening Norrell with his return. Remember, he came through the mirror before and was thrown in prison as a consequence, as a housebreaker, right? Um, now he's coming back through the mirrors, right? And he's, he has sent all these ravens. English magic is itself going to break out through the, through the mirrors. Uh, and he himself is coming back uh, to Norrell, and we see his madness uh, as he... Uh, as he says so, it's so this is so well done. So you see the different parallels that are being established. The parallel between Jonathan and the gentleman. The parallel between Jonathan and Arabella as pawns and as uh, 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 victims, ultimately, who are being manipulated. Um, and I love the role of Vinculus in this film. Um, and we didn't get to Vinculus tonight. We'll talk about the gentleman and Vinculus next time. Um, it is my devout hope that I will get through. Uh, uh, I'm determined to finish our discussion of the um, of the film next time. Uh, so look forward to that. Also, I will say um, I am. Well, I should also have an announcement of our next two uh, books that we're going to do. Um, the election is underway. Uh, it's winding down. The, those of you who have not voted yet, please do. Um, but uh, I'm, so I'm look, I should be able to announce that next Wednesday. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. We can it, well, the next class won't start until after the new year uh, in January. But we will. I uh, I will look forward to announcing um, what our next two books in the in the in the first part of uh, 2016 are going to be. So thanks for joining me tonight. Thank, thanks for being patient uh, with my late start and. Um, uh, and sticking with me here through a through a, a longer than usual class after that. So, uh, but thanks everybody, and I will see you guys next week as we finish Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, and look forward towards our next book. Thanks everybody. Good night.